0: Thank you, Miss Erica, and need to put you out front more often. Uh, this morning, the uh, message I would like to bring you uh, is basically a question I had from reading a few studies. Uh, there's been a lot of polls going around by Pew Research and Barna, uh, different groups And they tell us that 60 to 70 percent of American adults claim to be Christians. Now, my question is, and the title of this message is, if that's true, why are we in the mess we're in? And today I would like to answer that, but before we get into it, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would... Be with us through this service, Lord. Be with me. Help me deliver the words that you've put on my heart. Help me to deliver your message, Lord. The people don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. Lord, I ask that you would just guide us with your spirit through this service, Lord. If there be one here that needs to come to know you, I ask that you draw them. Start drawing them even now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well... The first thing that pops to mind is, well, out of those 60, 70 percent, then there's probably a lot of them that aren't Christians, right? If they don't have a Christian worldview, if they're not voting according to Christian principles. So maybe we need to define what a Christian is. And this morning, the first place I would like to go is a verse that most of you probably have memorized, and that's John 3.16. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I think sometimes that we've heard this so much that it's kind of lost some of its realness to us. And sometimes I don't think we think about it enough. And let me, first of all, I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about when I say that Uh, there's a lot of people out there who say they're Christians, That's not Christians. When I was a kid, we had horses. I grew up with horses. Uh, They were a part of our life all the time. Well, we didn't have a lot of money, so we usually weren't in the hybrid cutting horses and things like that. We usually got whatever we could get that was gentle enough to ride and would be a pretty good horse, but they were basically, a lot of them were mutts and we called them quarter horses. Well, basically, when I was growing up, you called anything a quarter horse. If it wasn't gated, it wasn't registered, it wasn't anything else, it was a quarter horse. And that's kind of where we've got to in the South with Christianity. People think that, well, I'm not an atheist, but I'm not really anything else. I'm from the South, so I'm a Christian, so I'll check that box. That's called cultural Christianity. Now, what we're going to see here is that that is not really Christianity. Now, the key word here is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him. All right, so we've got this big open doorway for whosoever, the whole world, but then we're going to dial it in to whosoever believeth in him. Now, what does believeth mean? Now, Jesse Luke is not here this morning, but Jesse Luke believes in Bigfoot. He is a firm believer in Bigfoot. He has hunted Bigfoot on a regular basis. So is that what we mean when we say believe in him? No, no. This word believeth, and I'm going to get a little analytical with you and go back to the Greek. The word for this is called pistuo, And what this means is entrust or commits. So what this is saying is that whosoever entrusts themselves in him should not perish. Whosoever commits themselves. You are saying, I entrust my life, my eternity, who I am, I entrust to you. That is what being saved is all about. So that quickly calls the ranks down of I'm from the south and I ain't anything else, so I'm a Christian. I want to go a little further in that. Over in, uh, again in John, over in John 14, chapter 6, chapter 14, verse 6, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over there with me. This is another verse that many of you probably have memorized. Now here, um, Jesus says, in verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, the first thing you think of is, well, he, maybe he didn't mean thee. You know, maybe he just meant a way, right? Maybe We probably put the the in there translating. Well, he foresaw that, so he goes on and says, No man cometh to the Father but by me. So this is not just a, I can put a little, it's like a lot of people have the idea of Jesus is like hedging your bet. Well, if you've ever done any or seen any gambling, and I know nobody here does, but some folks I know have done a little gambling, and they'll put a little bet over here to kind of cover, if they lose their main bet, they'll still get something. That's the way a lot of people want to treat Jesus. They want to put a, a few chips over here on Jesus just in case the rest of my plan don't work out. That's not Christianity. Jesus said, No man comes to the Father but by me. So I want to go just a little bit deeper in this where Jesus says, I am the way. Now, some of you may be closet nerds like I am, and uh, you've been watching The Mandalorian, and he says, this is the way. Well, way before The Mandalorian said, this is the way, Jesus said, I am the way, and Christians picked up on that. The early believers picked up on that. You see, believers weren't called Christians in the beginning. They were called followers of the way. You'll find that over in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to bounce through Acts just a little bit if you want to get over into that area. Uh, but we're eventually going to settle out in First John, if that helps you all out. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest... Now this is Saul who later became Paul and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogue that he have found any of this way, some translations say the way with a capital W, whether they were men or women he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now there are several places in Acts that the followers of Christ are called this. Uh, Chapter 19 says it in a couple of places, chapter 22 uh, and chapter 24, that people were called followers of the way. When the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost on the day of Pentecost and the church began, at that point they weren't called Christians. They were called followers of the way or simply believers. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, these people were known as the followers of the way because this wasn't just a decision or a little badge they put on. It changed their way of life. They changed, and they were radically different from those people around them. At that time, paganism was the thing of the day. I mean, you had all the Greek gods, all the Roman gods. There wasn't many people working, worshiping outside of the Jews in a monotheistic culture. So at that time, this made them stand out a little bit. Now, it made them stand out from the Jews because they were preaching a different gospel than what the Jews were. and They were loving on their neighbors. It was making a change in their life. But I want you to know it wasn't just a lifestyle. It wasn't just a pattern or a set of rules. They were following a person. Jesus said, I am the way. If you are going to get on the way, that means you follow Jesus, a person. Now, some of y'all may have been around back in the 70s. I got a little piece of that, but I wasn't around for the early part of it. But there was a group running around that time called the Grateful Dead. Rock band that done a little bit too much acid, well... Some of these folks started following them all over the country. Anybody remember what they were called? Deadheads, that's right. They identified with the Grateful Dead. They said, you know, not only do I like their music, I want to be followers of them. They left their jobs, started going across the country thinking they were part of the band. They were the fan group. When I was a kid, we had things like this. We had the Cosby kids, we had Mickey's Mouseketeers, we had all these things that you could join and you could follow that group and you took that name to identify with that group. Well, over in Acts chapter 7, we're not going to go there right now, but over in Acts chapter 7, it was during this time, that a follower of Christ named Stephen was preaching the gospel and he was stoned to death uh, as a martyr for Christ. Now, if you remember, uh, Saul, who later became Paul, held the coats for those who stoned Stephen. Now, I've I've read through the Bible and I've known there was some people that had powerful lives and that had powerful deaths. You know, I thought of Samson. You know, when Samson died, he killed more Philistines in his death than he killed during his whole life. You know, there were some people that had important deaths, but I promise you that nobody in the history of the world that I can think of had a more impactful death than Stephen. When Stephen was martyred, the people, the believers, the followers of the way that were in the Jerusalem went, Pah! and they took the gospel all over the known world. They scattered. It was the catalyst to bring God's word to every tribe, every nation. It was the, this moment was there so that God's word could go out and change the world. So after Stephen was martyred, one of the places that these Christians, the gospel, was taken was a place called Antioch. So if you'll turn a page or two over to Acts chapter 11 and look down at verse 19. Now which were scattered abroad among the per- persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, they spake to the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas on to Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass the whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples who were called Christians first at Antioch. So this is the first place in the Bible we see the word Christians. The first time anyone was ever called a Christian was at Antioch. Okay, so if we're going to break down what being a Christian means, let's break down the word Christian real quick. Christians made of Christ. Now Christ literally means the anointed one, but we know who we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus Christ. And then the suffix, Ian, which means little. All right? So now in Antioch, we got all these little Christs. Okay? If you're going to be a Christian, that's what you're supposed to be. So being a Christian means you, not your grandmother, not your mom and dad, not your town, not your state, not your geographical area, becomes a follower of Christ. And commit yourself to his teachings and trust your internal life beginning at your salvation. Your eternal life, if your life doesn't end, it begins at your salvation. You are living, those of you who have been saved, are living your eternal life right now. Now that life is going to change, but for your soul it will never die. Uh, you become a little Christ. So what does that tell us? Does that mean you're going to grow up to be Jesus? Well, no, you're you're not going to be the king of the universe, the ruler of all. You're not going to be a little G-God like some of these... Uh, cults have tried to say in the past that we're all going to be, uh, grow up and be gods of our own little universe. That's, that's not what it's saying. But you are going to be joint heirs with Christ. You are going to be led by the Holy Spirit to be like Christ. And that brings me to the second point of the message this morning if 60 to 70% of people claim to be Christians, now we're going to knock that down a little bit. We just say half, say half of those aren't actually Christians, but half of them got it. All right, that's still a pretty good chunk. That's 30 35% of the country claims to be Christians and actually are Christians. Why are we in the mess we're in? Why are they not being as effective as they are? The Lord tells us that a little lump leaveneth the whole thing, but also that a little salt changes things. So, if there's that much salt in the earth, if we're salt and light, and there's that much salt in America, why are we in the mess we're in? Well, my next point is going to be found over in First John, chapter two. Go ahead and turn over there. This will be where we where we land today and uh, finish up with this second point. I've only got a two-point sermon today. So. The American church today is not effective because its members refuse to grow. That's the ultimate thing. If you are a Christian and you refuse to grow, you're not going to be effective for the cause of Christ. Let's read John, chapter, 1 John chapter number 2 verses 12 through 14. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. I write unto you fathers, because you have known Him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write unto you fathers, because you have known Him that is from the beginning." I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong in the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So we see here three groups of people, or three levels of maturity amongst Christians. Now the first is little children, all right? Who are the little children? What does it say about the little children? It says your sins are forgiven you, and Then down in verse 13, it says, You know the Father. Okay, so little children, baby Christians, you have, your sins have been forgiven, and you know the Father. So you are a newly saved Christian. All right, so what does this mean? This is the new convert. Well, if we think about this in physical applications, Babies grow. If they didn't, we would think something's wrong. But I think we've got a little lax in thinking that Christians don't have to grow. They can just stay babies forever. But babies also don't really have an effect on the world around them. I mean, they may affect their household a little bit. If you've had a baby, you know that that's true. It affects your household, but it really doesn't have a whole lot of impact on your neighbors except for every time they go over there, they want to hold your baby. You know? But for your house, it changes things. But it has no impact on the world around you. So then we see the next stage is the young men. Now, who are the young men? You have overcome the wicked one, it says about the young men. chapter thir- or Verse 13 You are strong in the word, and the word of God abides in you. So, what does this mean? Number one, you're not prone to sin. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to live a sin free life, but as you grow, you should be less prone to sin. Babies step in stuff and get it all over them all the time. If you got a toddler, if there's a mud hole out there, that's the first place they're going to head for. But as they grow up, they learn to avoid things that's going to get them in trouble. Same thing with a Christian. As you grow, you learn not to sin. The God, uh, God, the Holy Spirit does a work within you, changing you, changing your wants, changing your desires. You start Growing in wisdom and growing in Christ, and you simply don't sin as much. That doesn't mean you're never going to sin, but it means sin is not a pattern of your lifestyle. This means you're not going to go out and live like Cain on Friday and Saturday and then come staggering into church on Sunday. This means that you ain't going to stay shacked up or living the homosexual lifestyle and say, I'm a Christian. This means the pattern of your lifestyle is going to conform to Christ. Okay? As again, doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it means the pattern. There's not an overall sin pattern to your life. Now, we know what the young men are. We see it all the time. The young men are the front-line fighters. My son just went off to basic. Uh, there's a reason that the government looks for guys that are 18 to 24 years old to put them through basic training. It's because when you get old and fat like me, you don't make a good soldier. The young men are the front line fighters. These are the guys that are going out there having an impact on their world every day because when you start changing the way you live, when the Holy Spirit starts making that change in you, on the inside, it starts showing up on the outside. When it starts showing up on the outside, it's going to start having an impact on the world around you, on your co-workers, on your friends. <clears throat> you, This is the group that has the energy and the drive to go out there and tell the world about Christ. These are the folks that we send on mission trips, the ones that affect change in their homes, in their workplace, in their environment. But one of the things sets them apart from the little children is not only that they're just less prone to sin, but they're steeped in the Word of God. They have a desire to, For the word of God. They study. They get in. They want it. They have a hunger, a desire for it. These are the young men. They're passionate about Christ. Finally, we have the fathers. Now, on the fathers, verse 13 and 14, it says, ye have known him. All right? Now, the fathers were once little children who became young men and they served their time as young men and now they're fathers. So what does this mean? They have knowledge and wisdom gained through their walk with Christ due to experience. Let me tell you, faith gives back in compound interest. It gives back exponentially. If you step out in faith, God sees you through it. God comes through for you if you're trusting him and following him according to his will. You step out on faith and God falls, follows through. You build faith. You've got more faith to handle the next thing that comes along. Now whoever said God won't put on you more than you could bear, that's a lie and it's not scriptural. God will absolutely put on you more than you can bear, but he will never put on you more than he can bear. So when he puts on you more than you can bear, he's the place you go to to get the rest. So when he builds that faith, then he comes through there, your faith grows. And then he gets you through the next problem and your faith grows. And then he gets you through the next problem and your faith grows. And one day you become one of these fathers in the faith. These are the decision makers, the leaders, the policy makers. I mean, there's a reason that we have an an age requirement on the President of the United States. Do you know a 16-year-old cannot become President of the United States? Why? Because we don't want a 16-year-old With all them crazy hormones going through them, deciding whether they're going to go to war or not. You have to hit a certain maturity level. I think our current president has probably passed that. But anyway, I'm not going there this morning. But... These fathers, they are the ones that are supposed to be the elders, the deacons in the church, the teachers. They are supposed to be helping to prepare the young men and raise up the little children. These are the guides for the next generation. Now I'm going to blow your mind because this has nothing to do with age. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. You can be 24 years old and be a father in Christ. You can be 104 years old and still be a baby. I've known some of those. Not anybody here, but some folks I know, has sat on the pew for 50 years and never had any growth. They came into eternal life in diapers and they're going to go out of this life in diapers and the only thing that changed about them was the size of the diapers. Now we got something that's going to happen here recently that will expose some of those if we have any of those in the congregation. I hope not. But we're fixing to go through an expansion. We're going to go through a building project. We're going to move... All of this back and extend our sanctuary. There's going to be all kinds of fun happening. We're going to have all kinds of decisions to make. What colors we're going to do. Are we going to have carpet or are we going to have tile? Are we going to have pews or are we going to have chairs? Now, I've got my preferences. And we're not going to... This is not the time to talk about that. But if my preferences are not chosen... I'm going to come set my butt in whatever chair we decide on, whatever seat we decide on. I'm going to look through whatever lighting we have. I'm going to either ignore or admire the colors, and I'm going to put myself under the teaching of the Word of God. Now, the babies, they're not going to do that. They're going to pout because they didn't get their way on the choice of color, or I wanted pews, and we decided to do chairs, or vice versa. And some of them are going to get mad and leave because they didn't get their way. It happens just about every time we a church goes through a building project, somebody's going to get mad and leave. I hope that doesn't happen. I pray that it doesn't happen because I love everybody in this church and I want us to stay. But experience tells me somebody's going to get mad and quit over it. These are the kind of people that when we have a visitor come in, they walk up there and say, excuse me, you're in my seat. That happens. You have somebody that you invited to church that you begged to bring them in here so that they could hear the gospel of Christ. And this person comes up and tells them to move because they're in their seat. That's a baby in Christ. That means... I got to salvation, but I ain't interested in nothing else. I just want to go to heaven when I die. So going back to what we're supposed to be doing as a church, why are we not effective as a church? Let's go over to Matthew chapter 28. I told you that I was going to stay in John, 1 John, but I'm sorry. I forgot. I put this in there right at the end. I didn't mean to lie to you, but I lied to you. I'll ask forgiveness for it in a minute. Matthew chapter 28, the end of the chapter, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, And of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So, what does it say for us to do? Well, we're supposed to go tell people about Jesus, we're supposed to go tell the gospel, spread the gospel. Well, what does it say to do? It says, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son. In another place in the Word, I believe it's over in John, when this is given, he says, make disciples. So you wasn't saved just to sit on a pew. You're a follower. You identify with Christ as a Christian. You are a disciple. You are a student of Christ. You are following the way who is a person that you are supposed to be emulating to a lost and dying world. Why are Christians not effective in the world today? Because a lot of them don't look a lot like Christ. Christ had an impact on his world. You know, we recently just won a major victory in the Supreme Court. Roe versus Wade was overturned, and the power to regulate abortion went back to the states. That is a triumphant victory. There has been people working tirelessly, passionately, passionately, with a love, a God-given love for the unborn that helped to make that happen. And that is a great thing. Praise God for that. But if Christians would have as much concern about the unborn again as they have for the unborn, we might be making a little more impact on our world than what we are. That's all I have for you this morning. I'm going to leave you with one question, and that is simply, where are you? You need. This is one of those messages that requires some... A little self-evaluation. This morning, where are you? Are you one of the unborn again? Are you a little child who needs to do some growing? Who needs to keep yourself steeped in the Word of God? Are you a young man who is fighting the good fight? You're staying steeped in the Word. You're staying out of situations that would cause you to sin. You're not living in sin as a lifestyle. Are you a father? Are you serving as a father? You know, the idea of retirement is not a biblical idea. That that Now, I'm not saying that retiring from your job is not a good thing and entering that next phase in your life. That's great if you were able to do that I'm happy for you. But that don't mean I sit down and quit. In the service of the Lord, you quit. He's done with you when He calls you home. So, are you a father who sat down and maybe not serving like you should? You've got all the experiential knowledge. You've experienced God's grace and goodness. He's seen you through a lot of things. You just Choose not to share it with the young men that are fighting the fight. This morning, if you don't like where you're at in your spiritual maturity, I've got good news for you. You get to make the decision whether or not to change. You don't got to stay a little baby. See, there's times I wish I'd stayed a little baby. I didn't have to worry about it so much when I was a little baby physically. I could holler and somebody give me what I wanted. Now I holler and everybody just looks at me like I'm crazy. But I didn't have a choice. I had to grow up physically, but growing up spiritually is 100% your decision. Wherever you're at, you can make the decision to move to the next level. So this morning I'm going to open up the altars. If you need Christ, If you're one of those people that are not saved, maybe I've identified as a Christian all this time, but I didn't really know what it meant to be a Christian. Today's the day. Jesus is here. Today's the day of salvation. You can be saved today. If you're one of the little children that says, you know, I haven't been living right. I had not been staying in church. I haven't been studying my word. You can come today and repent of that and ask the Lord with the Holy Spirit to change you, to transform your mind, to give you the desire. And then you can put in the work. Sometimes you just got to put in the work. If you never sit down with your Bible, you're probably not going to read the word. You've got to physically do it. So this morning, the altars are open. If you need to come pray, come pray.